if you want a really interesting life, don't say why, say why not? Why not got me a wonderful job in the film business. It got me across the Atlantic. It got me to the North Pole. It's got me through life when I didn't think I could get through life. What happens if she doesn't manage to do it, if she fails? I don't think she knows there's a word called fail in the dictionary. The thing is, I was never racing against people. I was racing against myself and against my fears. And when I got to that North Pole, it wasn't because I got to the North Pole. It's because I'd overcome the discomfort, the fear and the cold. That's what I was proud about and did it with my son. Welcome to the Thought Leader Revolution with Nikki Ballou. Join the revolution. There's never been a better time in history to speak your truth, find your freedom, and make your fortune. Each week, we interview the world's top thought leaders and learn the secrets of how they built a six to seven figure practice. This episode has been brought to you by eCircleAcademy.com, the proven system to add six to seven figures a year to your thought leader practice. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Thought Leader Revolution. I'm your host, Nikki Balloon. Boy, do we have an exciting guest lined up for you today. Today's guest is a multiple Guinness World Record holder. This is a woman who's absolutely fearless. She has done some wild and crazy and unbelievable stunts of physical prowess. She has raced to the North Pole. She has rode across the ocean in a rowboat. I am speaking, of course, of none other than the one, the only, the legendary Jan Meek. Welcome to the show, Jan. Thank you very much for that introduction. And that's only half of the things I've done. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. That's true. So, Jan, you and I got to know each other through the great Raymond Aaron when you did that incredible race to the North Pole. Um, Raymond did it at the same time and I was his fitness coach. I helped prepare him for that. So here was this fat, doughy, out of shape businessman who decided he was going to do the world's toughest race. And he said, get me into shape. It took us two years, but we did it. (laughs) And in two years, the man went to the North Pole and came back safely. But he always told me about the incredible woman who inspired him to do it because she was doing it too. And, you know, Raymond considered himself a bit of a man's man. And he thought that, hey, if uh, a feminine, girly woman like you could do it, then he should. He, he has no excuses. But I understand to, to from Raymond that you've done a heck of a lot more than just that phenomenal race. So the people that listen to this show, they tend to be, you know, the type of folks who are entrepreneurs. They're the men and women who have the courage to dream and to go out there and make their dreams come true. They listen to me every week. They want to listen to you. They want to learn from you because they want to be inspired by you. And they want to take some of the tips, tricks, and strategies you have to offer to help them become the best version of themselves in their life and their business. But before they can do that, they got to fall in love with who you are. So tell us your backstory. How'd you get to be the great Jan Meek? Well, it started off being sent to boarding school at four years old. And my mom said to me, just remember, dear, and all the nuns look like penguins, remember? One piece of advice she gave me is, girls don't cry. So that was the start. <laughs> then I used to, <laughs> and the very first day at boarding school, the girl in front of me was speaking in line, and the nun slapped me, thinking it was me. And I remember holding my fists, thinking, big girls don't cry. 
Then a few years later, I visited my grandfather who lived in Sweden every year for my summer holidays unaccompanied. And he used to take me sailing in the Baltic. And he said to me, I'm going to give you two pieces of advice. One is always ask why. You must know what's going on all around you. But if you want a really interesting life, don't say why, say why not. Mm, I love it. <laughs> and why not got me when I was young. Shall we go scrumping? Shall we take a day off school? Why not? But why not got me a wonderful job in the film business. It got me across the Atlantic. It got me to the North Pole. It's got me through life when I didn't think I could get through life. Because you put your shoulders back. You're a big girl. You don't cry. And you say, why not? I love it. I love it. You're an inspiration to men and women everywhere. And I got to tell you, um, I'm kind of blown away that you've set all these Guinness World Records. So what made you decide to set your very first Guinness World Record? Tell me the whole story. Right. Well, my husband, my, it was my second husband. My first husband, I married at 17. There was no pill. When you wanted to be naughty, you got married, right? And we had 20 years, two beautiful children, and we didn't call it a failed marriage. We called it a 20-year marriage. I then met my next husband, who I adored beyond all. And at the age of 47, he got cancer and he died. Oh. And I was gutted, absolutely gutted. I could not believe it. I was gutted. I had to carry on with our business. I then sold our business. I then did something which I haven't got a Guinness World Record for, but I took a late gap year and I went to China in 94 on my own. Wow. I can tell you that that's a story of its own, probably harder than rowing across the Atlantic. And when I came back, before I went, all the, I was a mayor of my town. I was chairman of the Chamber of Commerce. I was crazy. Everyone used to say, oh, poor Jan, her husband died. I got back a stone lighter. My growing gray hair was now blonde and I was tanned and it wasn't poor Jan. It was lucky cow. Look at her. One day my son rang me up. He was at the Royal Academy training to be an officer. And he said, mum, how would you like to spend Christmas in Barbados? Whoa, certainly. Just one snag, mother. We've got to row there in a 23-foot wooden rowing boat. I've joined us in the first and longest race ever. Well, you know the family motto. Why not? I had rowed across a play thing called the Serpentine in London when I was about eight of my rowing. So I went to a rather like Raymond came to you. I went to my local gym and said, I have a challenge. My challenge is rowing the Atlantic. Yours is getting me fit enough. And like Raymond, in two years, every morning, an hour on the rowing machine, lots of weights, getting strong. At the end of two years, I also helped my son. Who used all the money? Who got the boat built? Mum, he's not stupid, was he? While he was training to, to uh, fight for queen and country, I raised all the money. And when I arrived in Tenerife, I think it's only then that I realised just what I got into. The other rowers were Marines, Paras. There were two women married to Marines and Paras. They were all much, much younger than me. And here was I, the oldest, smallest, and least experienced. Some of them were very kind to me. And some of them took out a bet. Would I love two days, two hours? Well, nobody was going to win that bet. If anything spurred me on, that was the extra element I needed. And also, Daniel had been given three months off. I had got money from the, from, um, from the army because I went along to see them, dressed rather nice, Dad, because Danny was away, to see if they would lend me some money. 
And the remarks I got back from one of the general was, I think Miss Beek using her sexuality on us. And one of them said, yes, rather nice, wasn't it? The other one said, well, what happens if she doesn't manage to do it, if she fails? And another one said, I don't think she knows there's a word called fail in the dictionary. <laughs> so, I, so we set off on this day in October. And you know why you go in October? It's non-harm season. <laughs> that makes sense. And we set off and it made one, we made 101 days it took us and we experienced everything. We experienced a calm that I would call late Atlantic. We saw dawns and sunsets and night skies where there wasn't room to put even one more star. We saw the most beautiful things. We also saw whales, sharks, and a Force 9 gale. Apparently, according to the statistics, Force 9 is about 50 foot. The only argument Daniel and I had was he said, I don't think they are 50 foot. I said, all right, 35, 40. They're big. They're big. And the only good thing about Force 9 gales is we were averaging about 25, 30 miles a day on a good day. But during those storms, we were doing 50 and 60 miles. Thank the Lord towards Barbados. And somebody said to me, were you scared? Not to be frightened out in the Atlantic in a 23-foot boat would be very foolish. And every night, and I had lost my faith when my husband died, I remember going, thanks a bunch, and I stopped praying. During the Force 9 gale, I said, hi, it's me. I'm back. I don't want to die. <laughs> and I started saying the Lord's Prayer. And when I got to, for thine is the kingdom, power. And that summed up that ocean. When we got to Barbados, the sweet, nice thing, you can imagine how close Daniel and I got. I said to him at the end of it, because during the night, I would relive the cancer and all the dreadful things that happened. I would go through them again. And when we got to Barbados, I said to my son, I think I've managed to come to terms and let go of Keith. And his answer was, no, mum, perhaps he has let go of you. And from the moment I arrived in Barbados and met Raymond, now look, had I known, I might have rode a bit faster. <laughs> from the moment I arrived there, I began to heal. And I realized once more that life is good and life is worth living. And my why not meant that my whole life changed. And as me, I was even invited to speak in Canada, two speaking ones, one on the road the Atlantic and then the next one. And that's what I did with Raymond when I told him what I was doing. He said, oh, my gosh. I said, well, why don't you come with me, Raymond, in front of all his people? Well, what could he say? But why not? You know what? You taught him an important lesson. You taught That's him an it. important That's lesson. Um, he considered this, that to be the one of the more seminal experiences of his life. You know, it uh, truly transformed him to do that. He went from being this pudgy uh executive who was you know a successful a good businessman but let's let's face it a physical weakling to becoming yeah. a physical beast at the age of 62 you know and, and i uh, was also 62 <laughs> there you go and he 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 took himself from uh being a man who really really had no business doing something like this to being a man who not only had a business doing something like this, but did it to show what was possible. And, you know, I had a guest on my show a few years back who was a Navy SEAL. His name was Mark Devine. And Mark 
taught me something. And he said that in the Navy SEALs, they teach you that you're capable of doing 20 times more than you think you can physically. So if you think you can only do 50 push-ups or press-ups, as you would call them in the UK, you can do a thousand. And that's something that always stuck with me when Raymond, you know, did this race. And, and, and I really pressed Raymond to go well past his comfort zones when I was his fitness coach. And I've always been fascinated by the fact that you, you know, were the person who inspired him to do this. And you rode across the Atlantic Ocean and you did all this amazing stuff with that. Uh, with your life. You were somebody who always said, why not? You're someone who did something incredible with your son and, and got closer to him as a result. And you're somebody who, you know, did something that most people will look at and they'll just recoil and go, oh my God, I could never do something like that. But it's the very audacity to believe that you can and to say, why not? And to go for it that makes you a bigger, better person that allows you to achieve more than you ever dreamed possible. Bravo, bravo. I did get my own back because 10 years later, I met somebody who told me about the man who took out the book, whether I would last two weeks, et cetera, sat at a dinner and he said, oh, hello, Jan, very embarrassed. I said, what are you doing these days? I'm organizing the hardest race in the world, 400 miles to the magnetic pole. <laughs> I rang up Daniel and said, how about a bit of skiing at Easter? Mother. <laughs> and when I told him, what about it? Mother and son race to the North Pole. The family answer, of course, was, well, why not? Why not? <laughs> Raymond taught me was to speak. He said to me, I know you can speak and I want you to come to Lake Louise and speak at my conference. Um, so, what he did is he gave me a goal. I was speaking to little groups and little mothers Sundays and to schools. But by the time I got to Lake Louise, I was a speaker. And what's lovely is he got me in the chicken soup book, chicken soup for the ocean lover's soul. And at the back, they said, and this spurred me on until now, Jan's life reads like the plot of a novel. She's too busy living it to write it. Well, you know something? I wrote it because too busy living it to write it until lockdown. And I've nearly finished it. Nearly finished it. So, so was it Jacques Richard who bet yes. against you? Yes, did you meet him? Yes, he came over too. I met him. I met him. So listen, Raymond has connected me with him, but if you can connect me with him as well, I'd love to have him on the show, man. This is a fellow Absolutely. who's got to be on the show. My goodness. Yeah. yeah, I'll introduce you to him. We're great, great friends. Great, great friends. Yeah, in awesome. spite of, I don't know that he actually took that um, book out, but I will say he did because people think it's funny to think. That yeah, it's a good story. When it's I said, good story. <laughs> when I said to him, yeah, was my son says, never let the truth stand in the way of a good story. Your son's <laughs> right. <laughs> but what, what I'd said to him was, do you think, when he told me about the race, do you think I can do it, Jock? He said, for goodness sake, woman, you rode the Atlantic. Of there you go. Of course you can. When I said to Daniel how all the, the, the ones going to the pole were much kinder to me, nobody took out any books or anything. And Daniel's reply was, you know why, mother? With you in my team, no, they know they'll never come last. <laughs> <laughs> The thing is, I was never racing against people. I was racing against myself. 
and against my fears. And when I got to that North Pole, it wasn't because I got to the North Pole. It's because I'd overcome the discomfort, the fear and the cold. That's what I was proud about and did it with my son. I got to tell you, I think that's spectacular. It's, uh, it's an incredible thing that you and your son achieved together. Uh, bravo. We had a third adventure. Daniel decided to go into politics. He had nothing to do with politics. I'd been a town mayor and a town councillor. And he asked me if I would be his agent. Now, I've never been an agent, but I thought I can learn. So what happened is we turned over a 9,000 vote of Daniel was a conservative. This man was Labour. He'd been 18 years in that seat. He'd been a minister and he was considered unbeatable. I went up to Daniel's area. We got a team together. And this chap kept saying, Daniel Biles has got his mother as his agent. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got in on the third recount at six in the morning with 52 votes. <laughs> it was enough. It was enough. So we came last in the Atlantic. We came last at the pole. But he climbed the slippery slope of Westminster and he became a member of Parliament. So that was great. That's incredible. Is, is he still uh, in politics? No, because he, his constituency was going to be ruined by our H, high-speed rail. And so Daniel was voting against it, vociferously fighting against it. And unfortunately, when you fight against your government, you never, never get promotion. So he did five years, very good years, very good years. He picked his successor and helped him again seat. And he's now doing very well now doing very well because those five years gave him a great lot of contacts as you can imagine and he'll always do good then from the work from a little boy i mean i tell you the difference between my children my daughter was born a week late so i had an extra week's pregnancy and daniel was born a week early because mm. he couldn't wait to get here <laughs> he was in a hurry had a boy wow incredible so you and your son have shared three spectacular adventures and uh, I tell you, I think what you've done is absolutely marvelous, Jan. You know, um, deciding to go out and uh, row across the Atlantic Ocean and being the oldest woman to do it, deciding to go and uh, do the world's toughest race, uh, running Getting to the North the Pole, being the oldest I always get to do the it oldest. Guinness are now dusting down another record because in 24, I am planning to take six women on an expedition to the South Pole. Oh. I will... I will be 80 and I've got six women, two from India, one from Ireland, age 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, and we were going to do it just before lockdown. And of course there were no flights to Antarctica. So yeah. put it on ice, which is rather good. And then I need a lot of money for it. I need about half a million pounds. And I didn't think this year straight after lockdown was the right time, but my book hopefully will come out and I have a lot of very interesting plans to raise the money. And I will then, and Guinness is great. I rang him up and he said, well, Jan, I'll get the frame down and make sure it's dusted out because it'll be Girl. another oldest. Wow, I'm afraid wow. I'm always the oldest. That's <laughs> wonderful. Wonderful. You know, my uh, my better half, uh, her name's Teresa Dugwell. She um, decided to set some Guinness World Records. She's a runner. So she ran 12 hours on a treadmill three times and she set three Guinness World Records. Uh, for really? doing so. Um, and she ran the greatest distance on a treadmill over 12 hours. And she aspired, inspired a group of women, uh, 12 of them to do uh, an hour each and set a record that way. Um, 
So, you know, I should connect you and Teresa. I think you and Teresa ought to chat. She's always looking oh, for the shit. next thing to do, to do. Oh, yes. We I think she might be into, into what you, sure. what you ladies are doing. And I have a lot of fun now because writing the book has been fun because I had to go back in my memory and I got a co-writer who's a professional journalist and we love each other. We've spoken for two years, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and he gets memories out of it that I didn't think I had. And I've got in touch with people. I got in touch with the two boats that met us when we crossed the line of longitude, Sabred Road Atlantic. And everybody right from way back said, oh, God, Jan, so great to speak to you. I've even got a young man who went in 1965, had a crush on me in the film business because I worked for Sammy Davis Jr. I worked for Roger Moore. I worked for Olivia de Havilland. So I've had another life there. What? Yes. <laughs> I mean, you know, lots of different things. And he rang me up last week saying, hello, Jan, he says, oh, I understand you're writing a book. We must have lunch. <laughs> So I'm meeting this guy. I haven't met him since 1969 to discuss bits and pieces about my time with him in the film business. Isn't that fun? That's incredible. So hold on a second. You can't just throw that out there and just like, just like walk away from that. You knew Sammy Davis Jr. and Roger Moore. So tell me about that. Right. Well, what happened? This is one. That was my first good. Why not? You never, I lived in a place called Borenboard Elstree, which is the Hollywood of England. And everyone wanted to work at studios and it was nepotism. They never advertised the jobs. And one day I left a job, which is very hard in those days. You never like to leave a job without another one, but the boss was such an unpleasant man. So it was November and I'm walking past his agency and there's a job in the studios for a man called Johnny Goodman. So five o'clock it was. So I went in and they said, well, you know, it closes in half an hour. You, you can't possibly go and look at you. And I said, an ordinary, why not? Well, in those days, when he went for a job, he went in a navy suit with a white blouse and white gloves. And I had my going around shopping clothes on. So I thought, why not? So I ran down and I got to the studios at a quarter past five. And Mr. Goodman was down on stage. So somebody gave me a cigarette. I don't smoke anymore. So I walked in with a cup of tea, a cigarette and the wrong clothes. And I got the job. Jan, he said, I'd seen about 45 women in navy suits. You were a breath of fresh air. <laughs> And that gave me years. And first job, I first, with Mr. Goodman, Johnny, my office was next door to Roger Moore's dressing room. And on the first day he came in, I don't know if you can see this, and he raised his eyebrow and said, hello, Jan, is Johnny there? And that's what he does. That was his signature. And I put mine up and said, who should I say he is? From that moment on, we were great friends. <laughs> and he used to pop his head in every morning. We had lunch together. And he was married to a very, very jealous lady called Louisa Mattioli. And we used to flirt. And one day he said, oh, John, he said, it's raining. I take you home, only Louise is collecting me. And I patted his knee and said, yes, Roger, that's why. (laughs) 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 And I had three years working. I worked for Stuart Damon, who was at General Hospital. That was, you know, I worked with him. He was in a thing called Harpenness. Anyway, was that one? Yeah, no, he was in the the Champions. Anyway, I I worked on television series. And then my first film directed by Jerry Lewis, Dean Martin, Jerry Lewis. And Sammy Davis Jr. and Peter Lawford were starring in it. And I had a most incredible time. And Sammy and I became very, very good friends. Very good friends indeed. And I went on later, my last film, when I was pregnant with my daughter, Olivia de Havilland was in it. Can you imagine? My hero, my hero from, from way back. So I really... Had well, I have a talk I've gone on a cruise and it's called 
going to work was fun and it was well paid and fun and then I obviously had my children I went to Jimmy Norton I became the town mayor at Gemma the Gemma Commerce and life just completely changed for me and now I I speak all over the place I've spoken as you know in Canada I've spoken in Oman I've spoken in Holland and and I've spoken to 900 schools and I thought children would think I was too old and they don't. These little boys of nine say, because I'm small and a grandma, Jan, if you can do it, perhaps we can. And I get emails from a little boy saying, whenever I'm a bit frightened of doing something, I think, why not? Isn't that lovely? That is absolutely get, lovely. Yeah. I don't get paid so much from the schools, but I come away always as inspired by these children as I know I inspire them. And probably that's the happiest talks I have. I go all dressed up in my gear. I let them try on the boots. I take the sledge. And they come up with some wonderful questions. Wonderful questions. And you know why I'm going to the South Pole? Tell me. Because one of their their main questions is, which is the most difficult? Which is the most beautiful, North or South? And I want to be able to say, I'll tell you. So Jan, you know, um, what you've done is incredible. You've, you've had a life well lived. You've had beautiful children, which is incredible. You worked with- uh, Five grandchildren. That's even more fantastic, as they say. You've had um, a life where you've got to meet some of, you know, Hollywood's greatest and biggest stars from back in the day when Holly, being a Hollywood star meant something, <laughs> you know? Uh, <laughs> And uh, hopefully there'll be a time it'll mean something again. Uh, but uh, the stars of that era, Sammy Davis Jr., Olivia de Havilland, Roger Moore, they're absolutely incredible. You know, I had a guest on my show. His name's Tom Dreesen. And Tom was um, on tour for 14 years with the great Frank Sinatra. You know, and he told us a whole bunch of stories of Frank's time with Sammy Davis Jr., and uh, it's just really incredible to have him uh, on the podcast and have him be speaking about these things. Tom, Tom's a great man. I do, Peter Lawford. I must tell you one lovely story about Peter. Please, he please was do. so so laid back. He was horizontal, and he <laughs> called Sammy Super Spade. He called Jerry Super Jew. He called the producer Super Kraut. And I said to him one day, "God, I dread to think what you'd call me." And they said, "I'll give it some thought over the weekend." And I thought, oh, God, what have I done? What have I done? <laughs> Monday morning, he called everybody around. He said, I've got the name for Jan. Just super. Did me no harm. Did me no <laughs> harm at all. And, and luckily for me, he was very tied up with a very beautiful girl. So I didn't have to you know, sort of fight for my honor in return for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, good for you. I mean. Uh... And my book. Shall I tell you the title of Please my book? Please do. Tell me about your book. Well, it is a memoir. Not, I'm not going to put in like everything you've done. It's a memoir. And as I've done it, I've met wonderful people in my life, as you do with your podcast. So when I've met these people, I, I give them their due and I give stories about them. Because I think just me, although my life's been exciting, you know, having some of these people in it too. And I had some incredible adventures with Sammy, which you will have to read the book to get. And um, so I've really enjoyed it because it's brought other people back into my life. It's reminded me of the wonderful things that they have done. And I'm calling it Meek and Wild. Nice. Nice. I, I, don't, I 
think is a great title. <laughs> it really is. Well done. I'll tell you this. Uh, anyone listening to this show would be um, very, very lucky indeed to have the chance to read your book and to make your acquaintance that way. And I can't wait till your book comes out. Uh, so get on it, uh, as they say. <laughs> Let's as Raymond would say, he's yeah. really angry with me. He says I should have written it 20 years ago. But actually, I've done so much more since Rowan Atlantic. I'm glad I've waited. Yeah, good for you. So now's the time to get the book out. And uh, when it is officially out, come back on the show and we'll, uh, we'll have you tell all the stories from the book and, and promote it and all that good stuff. I think it's fantastic that you've been able to build yourself uh, a brand. You know, we say that there's a distinction between an expert and a thought leader. And an expert is someone who knows something. A thought leader is someone who's known for knowing something. Well, you're known for knowing how to say why not and to set Guinness World Records doing incredible things. And that has allowed you to be a sought after speaker and build quite a, a tidy little business for yourself. Uh, in that regard. So bravo and kudos. So we like to ask you as our guest expert, what are your top three expert action steps? I kind of stole this from Raymond. So these are your best three pieces of advice that you recommend my listener take on to take their business and their life to the next level. So what do you say? Well, the first one is always to say, why not? And to have confidence in yourself and think, look, you're never too young, too old, too fat, too thin. If you want to do it, Go for it. And three things will happen then. Either you'll do it and think, oh my gosh, I managed it. Or you won't do it. You'll think, I know how to do it next time. <laughs> or you'll think, you know, that's not for me. I'm going to have to move on to something else. But you know for sure that it's not for you. And I think that's recognizing that, saying why not, and then realizing the very good things that come out of that. And it gives me such confidence. I mean, you know, I will be 80, and the only way I'm going to be able to prove to the insurance companies that I can get to the South Pole, because they're all going to say, I'm going to take my six girls. We want to do 101 miles to the South Pole, because I did 101 days across the Atlantic. So I'm going to take us on a harder 101 miles, either in um, Greenland or somewhere, that's harder and more difficult, so that I can say to the insurance company, we've just done a rehearsal and we managed fine. So I think always making sure that you've covered your own back. Because obviously I'm going to have to raise half a million pounds. And if my sponsors know that I'm already done, almost done it, because in actual fact, the South Pole, it's very emotive, but it's not necessarily harder or more, more arduous than Greenland or Alaska or anywhere in the middle of the winter. So, and I have a wonderful team. I call us the Polar Maidens and we're always in touch. And we just it. all get on so well. And I've brought in some medics who are so fascinated that they're going to put us in a chamber before we go and measure all the things about us. And then when we come back to see how the different ages cope with all the hardship and, and mental things, which I think will be quite makes it a little more than just a jolly. <laughs> OK, fantastic. So um, if folks want to you know, find out more about the things you're doing, get a hold of you. Um, you know, if they're interested in helping sponsor some of your work, what's yeah. the best way for them to, or they want to hire you to speak for them? What's the best way for them to yeah. get a hold of you? Well, there's my webpage, which you can give them, can't you? I think I gave it to you, my webpage. So Say it again. Up, Jan, if they, it's www.polar-maidens.net. Okay, great. And if you put Jan Meek Polar Maiden, it'll come up. It'll come up. 
and it's not quite updated at the moment. Because, but I also do an amusing thing. I, I every week I, I put on um, a dress called Posh Friday, and I have a little chat about. I have so many different clothes; it's not true. So my, it's quite a fun thing to follow because every week you've got me in a different dress because I haven't changed shape for years. And because I've been the mayor and I speak at conferences and my mother had beautiful dresses and we were the same size. Since the beginning of lockdown, I have not repeated a dress. <laughs> so ladies will enjoy that. It's quite fun. It's quite fun. Awesome. 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 Yeah. I've seen that on Facebook. I've seen you put your, yeah. <laughs> your, your posh frocks on. That's pretty cool stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so listener, Jan Meek is a legend, is a multiple Guinness world record holder and a very inspiring woman. And she and her philosophy of why not are something you ought to take on in your life. Why not indeed? Why not have you live your life in the best way possible? Why not make a ton of money? Why not do that thing you've always wanted to do, but you put off because you've got this nagging, chattering monkey in the back of your head saying you can't do it. Why not indeed? So today, that's the plan. Why not? You know, I had another guest come on and he shared the can you imagine, which is another way of saying why not? Can you imagine blah, blah, blah? Can you imagine racing to the South Pole? Can you imagine living life as the best version of yourself? Can you imagine making a million dollars in a single month? That sort of thing. And why not is another way of saying that. And I absolutely love it. So we're going to make sure, listener, that all this information is in the show notes. Get a hold of Jan you know, follow her work, contribute to what she's trying to do. And if you are somebody who really enjoyed this particular episode, do me a favor, share it with somebody else who will enjoy it too. Because I'm going to tell you, that is what makes the biggest difference in the world when you share all this. All right, Jen, it's been a real pleasure to have you here on the show and can't wait to have you back when your book's out. Absolutely. Try and stop me. Also, I can come and give a chat. We'll have a book launch. We'll have a book launch. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Let's do that. Let's make sure that we do that. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. And that wraps up another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. To find out more about today's incredible guest, the one and only Jan Meek, go to the show notes at thethoughtleaderrevolution.com or on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Audible, Google Play, or wherever else you happen to listen to this episode. Until next time, goodbye. This episode has been brought to you by eCircleAcademy.com, the proven system to add six to seven figures a year to your thought leader practice.